If you have your Bibles with you this morning, if you'd like to open to Mark 6, verses 1 through 6. If you don't have a Bible in the seats in front of you, there's Bibles there. You can get one of those out. Then he went out from there, and he came to his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this that was given to him, that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? So they were all offended at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. Now he could do no mighty works there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Then he went, out, he went about the villages in a circuit teaching. Will you pray with me? Our dear Lord Father, we just come before you, Lord. We just thank you for your word that you give us in your Bible, Lord. Lord, we pray that Jackie is completely emptied out and that you just completely fill him with your Holy Spirit as he brings your word, Father. We pray for his anointed teaching. And Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit indwells this building, that it just, we just feel your presence here, Father, that you might give us ears to hear and open hearts that we might receive your word, Father, and just incorporate it in our lives. So, Lord, we ask your blessing on your word. We ask your blessing on Jackie's teaching this morning. And we ask your blessing on all the congregants that are here listening to it. And we just pray this to your precious son, Jesus. Amen. Have you ever wondered about why Jesus offended so many people? You ever thought about it? Think about why, you know, when Jesus was, was doing all these incredible things that we see him doing. And yet, people are offended. The word that we're going to look at in the section of scripture we look at this morning is uh, scandalon, scandalizo. It means to, to be repelled by. To utterly reject. It's interesting because as we look at this section of scripture today, I actually had a plan to go much further and sometimes my plans don't work out so good. I don't know how your guys' plans are, but, but mine don't always come together like I want them to. But as I, as I took a look at what we have, I, I just thought we'd take a minute and talk about the, why that is and how that relates to us and, and an understanding of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. If we look at the, the beginning, we see Jesus coming home. I don't know, for those of you who are believers here this morning, how often it has been difficult for you to share your faith at home. Why is that so, so tough? Well, mama raised you. Dad knows all the stuff you've done. Your brother's had all those conversations with you. They, they are aware of from whence you came. And, and what it shouts, there's two things that really shouts to me that we're, as we look through this section of Scripture. One is ordinariness, and the other is grace. 
And those two things lead people to be offended at Jesus Christ still today. The reasons they're offended are different. Um, You know, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But the reality is, for me, I think it comes down to those two things. His ordinariness and His grace. Well, we look at the beginning. Take a look. It says that Jesus... uh, that he went out from there and came to his own country. So he goes home. And his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this with which, uh, which is given to him, that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Isn't this the carpenter, the son of Mary? The brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simeon. And are not his sisters here with us also? So they were offended at him. It says that when he began to teach, they were astonished. By the way, that word astonished is not a good astonished. Like, wow, that was really cool. But astonished, like, who gives this guy the right? And if we're going to understand a little bit about that, if we're going to be able to comprehend that, we, we need to stop for a moment and just back up and see what he taught. So if you got your Bibles with you, just flip over to, to Luke chapter 4. In Luke chapter 4, verse 16 through 22, we have a, another accounting of the same story. But this in this particular gospel, he gives us what Jesus said. What he said that caused the people to be so astonished. In Luke 4, verse 16, it says, So he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. So Jesus normally went to the synagogue. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. So the reading for that day was Isaiah. And today we have book. You, you get to look at all 66. In their day, they had scrolls. So the head rabbi would hand a scroll to the guy who was going to read. And so Jesus is the guy who's going to read. He takes Isaiah and he opens it up. He opens it up to Isaiah 61. But this is what he reads. It says, He opened up the book and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. That's an amazing phrase in and of itself. The Spirit of the Lord. Spirit of Yahweh. Almighty God's Spirit is upon me. This is a promise in Isaiah 61 of Messiah. It's a promise of Messiah. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me. He has anointed me. He has poured out His Spirit upon me. Look, to preach the gospel to the poor. Say, boy, I didn't know the gospel was in the Old Testament. Now you know. To preach the gospel to the poor. The good news to the poor. What's that good news? He has sent me. To heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And all eyes uh, of all who were in the synagogue were fixed upon him. Then he began to say, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus went home to his synagogue to proclaim himself 
as Messiah. I'm the guy. I'm the one. They were astonished because all they could think about was the kid who grew up in Nazareth. All they could think about was, I know his dad and his mom, and surely God's Messiah is not just going to be ordinary. He's not just going to be like you and me. He's not going to sweat. He's not going to be hungry and thirsty. He's not going to have to... Surely the Messiah... The prince, he's going to be born in a, in, a, in a palace. He's going to be of the lineage of the king. Surely, he's not just like one of us. So they were astonished and offended at him. Offended at the message that he brought. He's too ordinary to be God. He can't be. See, the, the Old Testament rabbis all taught up until this time and a ways beyond, probably until about the 4th century, that Messiah was going to be God. And now they're looking at this guy that they saw grow up and they're saying, how can this be God? This is God, there'd be something else, something different. It wouldn't look like this. Wouldn't be so ordinary. What did the... Isaiah tell us about Messiah. It says he has no form or comeliness that we would desire him. That means that if Jesus was in a crowd, he didn't stick out. He was ordinary. He was ordinary. And that to me that just shouts out shouts out over and over. He's ordinary. So they're astonished, not in a good way. Not in a good way. What else do we see about the, his miracles? It says, <clears throat> how is it that Jesus, this guy, who's so ordinary, can do these, so, these extraordinary things? Don't you see, when you look at it like that, when you, when you begin to see it like that, can't you hear the importance behind what Jesus said to his disciples? These things you've seen me do, and greater you shall do? But I'm just... Ordinary. Yeah, that's the point. It's not about your abilities. It's about His. And Jesus, Jesus models that for us so well. They couldn't get past His background, right? Look at it. The greatest obstacle to faith is not the failure of God to act, but the unwillingness of the human heart to accept the God who condescends to us in only a carpenter, the son of Mary. Man, I, I know this guy. And so they are offended, repelled to the point of abandoning everything he had said and done. Now just think about some of the things he said and done up to this point. You remember them, right? It's not like Nazareth was off the map and nobody knew about it. Even though Nazareth is a small town, about 500 people lived there at the time of Christ. No bigger than 500 folks. But they surely had heard that the, the story of Jesus calming the storm. Surely they had heard about the Gadarene demoniac who had 6,000 demons in him that Jesus cast out. Surely they heard of Jairus' daughter. 
being raised from the dead or the woman who had been bleeding for 12 years who touched Jesus and had been healed. Surely they heard of all these things, but they couldn't get over the fact that God can't fit in my, this God, this can't fit in the box that I have built. The box of my understanding for how it is that, that Messiah will be. How it is that when God comes in the flesh, how it would look. It can't look like this. Despite all the stuff that he was doing, they were repelled by who he was. He's just ordinary guy. He doesn't stick out. And his ordinariness was holding them back. J.P. Meyer, who's a historian uh, and a biblical scholar, he said this, What is beyond dispute is that in the ministry of two or three years, Jesus of Nazareth attracted and infuriated his contemporaries. He's mesmerized and alienated the ancient world. He unleashed a movement that has done the same ever since, and thus changed the course of history forever. Just for a minute, think about the folks who are offended about Jesus, because it's, it's kind of wild when you start to think about it. Herodians and Pharisees, typically enemies, but they found a common ground in hating Jesus. Sadducees and scribes and Pharisees, typically enemies, they found common ground in hating Jesus. The rich and the poor, the right wing and the left wing, the big towns and the small towns. Did I leave anybody out? Because I shouldn't. Everybody from every walk of life could be offended by Jesus. And many times they were. It wasn't so hard for the chance of the crowd to go from hero to zero. From here, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, a proclamation that Jesus is Messiah, to within a couple of days, crucify him. Crucify him. He can't be. God can't be this ordinary for us. It can't be the way it is. But the point is they, they all hated Jesus for different reasons. See, and today we see some of the same things going on. People want to pick and choose of who Christ was and what Christ did and say, well, you know, the Christian thing, I like it, I like it, but they got this exclusive deal. You know, I like the forgiveness and the grace, but I don't like the exclusive part where, where it's the only way. And then somebody else will say, especially if you go to the East, and you ask them, could this be the only way? They say, sure, this could be the only way. But, but I just can't wrap my mind around this forgiveness thing and this grace stuff. And you go to a different culture and they got a different problem with it. And you go to another place and they got a different problem with it. That's the kind of thing we should expect from a message that comes outside of this world and all these cultures. That it would offend them all. That there would be things that Jesus taught and Jesus said that would be offensive. The question is not, does it offend me? The question is, is he who he said he was? Because if he is, then the problem is not what he said. It's our beef, we don't want to have to do it. Or follow, or listen, or hear. The problem shifts to us. To see the same things, the same reasons. In fact, Jesus talked about it. John chapter 15. 
John chapter 15, verse 18, Jesus said, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. He's saying, look, I I get it. In essence, he's saying, the whole world's going to find me offensive. And if the whole world finds me offensive, it's going to find you offensive. And they're going to have beefs about you. And they're going to say things like, oh, Jesus, please come and save me from your disciples. But if your disciples are following you, they're just offended at the same things that they would have been offended about if Jesus was here himself. They say, oh, Jesus didn't say other things. You know, Jesus put a stamp of approval on the Old Testament, right? Trust me, you're going to have a bigger problem with what the Old Testament says and what the New Testament says. Jesus said, it's these scriptures you read daily because you think in them you'll find life. But it is these scriptures that you read daily that talk all about me. They talk about me. I'm in there. The word of God. The word himself. It's funny because we look at, uh, we look at all these different cultures. American culture. We look at cultures in the, in the, in the Far East or the Middle East or the Near East. And all these places, what we see when we see the fact that they're offended over different issues, we have, to, we have this mindset that somehow our culture should trump all other cultures. And the concept that all these cultures are kind of banging heads against what Jesus taught simply shows us that Jesus' message came from someplace else. Otherwise, it would not have butt heads with everybody. Somebody would have said, oh yeah, that's cool. That fits perfectly in our culture. That fits perfectly. But it doesn't because of who Jesus is. Because of the message that Jesus has. So since Jesus is real, if we believe he really came and died, was buried and rose again. And just so you know, you'll have an easier time proving almost anything else didn't happen. There is so much historical evidence behind the the. The birth, the life, the burial, at least the believed resurrection in the ancient world, it's ridiculous to try to erase it. You can't erase him. You gotta do something with him. You can say, I reject him, I'm offended at him, he I don't like what he says, I don't like what he stands for. That's cool, that's your right. But you can't do it on the basis that he wasn't real, that he didn't exist, that he wasn't there. So since Jesus is real, since he did exist, since he did these things, we should expect, we should expect that he would offend our sensibilities and our temperaments. The real question is, if he is who he said he is, what am I going to do about that? Not what about his message offends me. But you see, the people in his hometown, they couldn't get over it. The people in his hometown couldn't get over the fact that we watch this kid grow up. He's just a carpenter in town. The son of Mary. Little slam there. He had a father too, right? You're talking about a a patriarchal society. Jewish society is a patriarchal society. No one is ever being called the son of their mother. Unless they're trying to say something. Is there anything in Jesus' story that would make them want to call him the son of your mother? Oh, it's that little thing about that Mary got pregnant before she was married to Joseph. And so that followed along all through his life. The idea that you don't even know who your father is. But Jesus never said that. He knew exactly who his father was. 
Isaiah told us that a virgin would conceive and give birth to a son, and you shall call his name Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. What does that mean? Uh, that means God's coming in the flesh, being born of a woman. So they call him Son of Mary, taking little pot shots at him, little shots at what he's doing. He's too ordinary for them. Messiah can't be one of us. See, the, the way of salvation is offensive, not only in its ordinariness, but it's offensive to our pride. Isn't it? We want to be able to do something, be something, say something to, to establish that. Well, let's look at verse 4, Mark 6. It says, But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. He's quoting a proverb. So he says, a, a prophet's without honor in his own home. Everywhere else Jesus went, people could receive what he had to say, but his family couldn't receive it. In fact, the scripture tells us that his brothers did not believe until the resurrection. But you got a problem to get over that one, right? If, you're, if, you're, if your older brother is walking around telling you he's the son of God, and you're thinking, oh, yeah, I don't know, pro." I've seen you do some crazy things, and there's no way you could be the Son of God. But then he dies and rises again. Yeah, um, I guess you are the Son of God. James, his brother, becomes the head of the church in Jerusalem. Judas, his brother, writes a book in the Bible called Jude. James, his brother, writes a book in the, in the Bible called James. They come to faith, eventually. They couldn't get it. They couldn't get past that stuff. It offended their pride. Now he could do no mighty work there, except he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about the villages in a, in a circuit teaching. So Jesus was just too ordinary for him. He couldn't, they couldn't get beyond it, couldn't get past it. So he didn't do much there. Other places, he's raising dead and healing lepers. And you see the incredible work of God happening. But because these guys are so hard-hearted, and their concept of how God's going to work in our life is so built in this box that Jesus don't fit in, that they can't receive. And Jesus can't do anything there. Just passes through. He just does a circuit, moving around through, still around the Sea of Galilee, from town to town, teaching, telling them about the good news. The good news that he read in Nazareth. That I've come to, set the, to heal the brokenhearted, and set the captives free, to give sight to the blind. That, by the way, doesn't just mean people who can't physically see. It means people who are lost and stumbling in life, and don't know how to get it together he says i'll give them sight i'm going to put all those pieces back together again it's interesting to me because in this first six verses what we see jesus struggling with his family and his hometown and his friends just like we do and he said you're going to have the same experiences that i have people will be offended if we're truly following him people will be offended by the message you have to give. And when I thought about this, and I thought about this section of scripture, I could not stop thinking about a story in the Old Testament. So that's where we're going. 2 Kings chapter 5. It's in the OT.
interesting story about a guy who had a preconceived idea about how God ought to look and what God ought to be like and what God should do and how God should do it. So we look at it. 2 Kings 5, verse 1. Now Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master. Because by him, the Lord had given victory to Syria. Do you catch that? You know, Naaman's not saved, not a follower of God, yet the Lord gave him victory for Syria. Syria is not God's people. Did you know that God was working in other people? Not just Israel. God has other plans. He does other things. Well, here's Naaman. He's doing something for Naaman. He's giving him victory. He also had... He also was a mighty man of valor. Then you have this small side note. But a leper. So Naaman, this killer general, I just want you guys to get into it, get into his character a little bit. Mighty man of valor, really good with swords, maybe maybe he uses two of them. Moving them real fast. You got to get into the Bible a little bit or you're just going to bounce off it. Don't let that seed bounce off. So, he's killer, man. He's really good at all this stuff, but he's got leprosy. Now, don't act like that's a little thing. Leprosy, got a little spot on his cheek. No, he's got fingers starting to fall off and losing toes. And nobody wants to look at him because he looks like he's rotting. Leprosy, throughout the scriptures, uses a picture of what happens in a person when they're lost. They're just deteriorating. So Naaman's got this. He's, he's a mighty man of valor. Good guy. God's worked through him before, though he doesn't know God. And, and he's really good, but he's, a, but he's a leper. Small thing. He's a leper. And it says, And the Syrians had gone out on raids, and had brought back a captive, a young girl from the land of Israel. So she becomes a slave to Naaman's wife. She waited on Naaman's wife, Then she said to her mistress, If only my master were with the prophet who's in Samaria, he would heal him of his leprosy. So, Naaman gets word. There's a dude who can heal me of this leprosy? I mean, my life would be all together if I didn't have this leprosy, if I I wasn't the walking dead. So, I want to be healed of leprosy. How do you get that news? Because they were going on raids. Don't, Don't just read that and think that doesn't mean anything you know that means that they broke into people's houses killed their families and took their kids and one of them was this young girl that became a slave at Naaman's house and I'm sure that young girl was thinking why is my life going like this why is my life got to be all sideways why is God allowing these things to happen but yet she becomes a witness in Naaman's home of the power of God and what God can do into the life of Naaman God says he can redeem every situation if we let him. So she tells him. She tells him what's going on. Look at verse 4. So Naaman went in and told his master, saying, Thus and thus said the girl who is from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go now, I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he departed. Look at what all he takes. And he took with him ten talents of silver. 6,000 shekels of gold, 10 changes of clothing, 
And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which said, Now be advised, when this letter comes to you, that I have sent Naaman my servant to you, so that you may heal him of his leprosy. You, you don't think that freaked out the king of Israel a little bit? But already been whipped by Syria. They're hitting some of the outskirts of border towns and, and taking people. Now, Syria sends their head, the head guy, the baddest dude in their army. Remember? Two-sorted. Crazy. They send him and he's got leprosy. And so what's he take with him? Look at all the stuff he has with him. A letter of recommendation from the king. The king of Syria gives him a letter of recommendation demanding that the king of Israel take his leprosy away. Because I might need that. I, I might need the recommendation of those people that I respect. And he took uh, ten talents of silver. That's, by the way, a lot of silver. And 6,000 shekels of gold. That's, by the way, a lot of gold. Yes, I might need to pay them. Right? I might need to pay something for it. I might need to pay something for it. And I brought ten changes of clothing because I got some really cool duds. And maybe I could trade some of those duds and, and that'll be part of the thing that goes over. So he brings all that stuff to the king of Israel. I want you to see. He walks in. He lays it all out. God's going to work in my life, man. He's going to heal me of leprosy. Here's a letter from my king telling you to do it. Oh, if that's not enough, I got gold. And I got silver. And I got some clothes. And did I mention, I am the baddest dude walking. So I'll do whatever. And he stands before the king. Stands before the king. Look what the king does. The king, the king kind of freaks out a little bit. says, it happened... When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and make alive that this man sends me, this, this man sends a man to me to heal him of leprosy? Therefore, please consider and see how he seeks a quarrel with me. The king thinks that the other king's trying to start a war. Because he's like, Well, let me, let me make it a little easier for you. From the beginning of history to this point, Almost no one had been healed of leprosy. And the rare occasions that had occurred was a miraculous occurrence by God. Intervening in somebody's life. But for the most part, leprosy, death sentence, you're done. You're done. So the king says, what? And this guy's trying to pick a fight. He's trying to start a war. He's got a concept. How God's going to work in my life. I'm going to be able to pay or do or give or be somebody. And if I'm all those things, then God's going to do something for me. But look what happens to him. The king's freaking out. And it says, so it was when Elisha, the man of God, heard the, the king of Israel had torn his clothes. He sent to the king. So, so I don't want you to miss this either. They didn't have cell phones then. So it's not like somebody texted Elisha the prophet and said, Dude, there's a guy here who thinks the king's going to heal him of leprosy and the king's kind of freaking out. So it took however long it took for word to go from where the king was with this guy to Elisha. And then Elisha sends a dude over there and said, Go tell the king. Send him to me. And the king's more than happy to get the guy out of his palace, right? He doesn't want to have to deal with the problems of what this guy's thinking. So he says, sure, sure. The Elisha says, give him to me. Send him to me and I'll take care of it. So he sent to the king, don't tear your clothes. Let him come to me and he shall know there is a prophet in Israel. So then Naaman went 
with his horses and chariot, and he stood at the door of Elisha's house. So he's got all his stuff. All this stuff. He's at the door of Elisha's house. It's time. It's the moment when God's going to do something. God's going to move. He's, he's kind of excited. He's got all these preconceived ideas of what it's going to look like. He knocks on the door. Elisha's messenger comes to him. Yeah, I'm here to see Elisha about getting healed for leprosy. Oh, okay. Elisha doesn't even come talk to him. He doesn't even... He doesn't even come to answer the door. He shouts from the other side of the room. And tell him to go wash in the Jordan seven times. Tell him to go wash in the the Jordan seven times and he'll be cleansed. So the messenger tells him to close the door. Elisha says, that was easy. That was easy. What happened with Naaman? It says in verse 11, but Naaman became furious. What's that sound like? Sound like he's offended? Sounds like he's offended. What's he offended about? Elisha didn't come out to see him? I'll tell you what he's offended about. The message is ordinary. What do you mean go wash in the river? I could have washed at home. I could have washed any place else. Why would I go wash in this river? That's so lame. It's so simple. It's so ordinary. Anybody could do that. Don't you know? I'm the baddest guy walking in Syria. I command the armies. I command respect. I got all this stuff going for me. Don't you know who I am? And you give me an ordinary message. So simple. Go wash. Look what he says. But Naaman became furious and went away and said, Indeed. I said to myself, He will surely come out to me. But he didn't come out, right? He just shouted from the other room. Surely he'll come out to me and stand and call in the name of the Lord. He had a picture of what it was going to be. He said, it'll be like this. I'll, I'll come knock on the door. Elisha will come to me. Oh, and he'll, you know, give me my proper props for who I am. And then he'll, he'll say an amazing prayer to the God of heavens. And like light will come down from heaven and bam, do this miracle. He's got an idea of how God's going to work in his life, but, but how God worked in his life didn't fit in his box. It was different. He wasn't treated as special as he thought he should have been treated. He didn't pray that special prayer. Look at what else he says. Stand and call in the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place. You know, he's good, he, he would have waved his hand, touched me there. He'd have done something special and healed the leprosy. And then he says, Are not the Abana and the Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than the waters of Israel? I could have washed in them to be clean. So he turned and went away in a rage. Rage. That's the same kind of attitude that turns the cries of people from blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I know God's going to do this in my life. I know God's going to work like this in my life. To the shouts, crucify him. Just like that. He's leaving the house. He's, he's just raging. Raging. He's, 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 he's enraged at what's going on. It's funny as we <coughs> consider it. Once again, message is too ordinary. Just wash. One time there were snakes going through the children of Israel. They're biting them. You ever been bit by a snake? Okay. Uh, 
It doesn't matter, poisonous or not poisonous, it's a drag. You say, oh, no, come on, those cute little pythons, they got teeth. You knew that, right? Big old crazy teeth. They want to bite you and hold on. My brother raises snakes. There's something wrong with him, I don't know, can't explain it. (laughs) My brother raises snakes. He's got snakes so big they eat a cow. Huge. He's, in fact, we go over to stay at his house, and, and he says, well, you and Kathy can have the snake room. And I'm like, dude, Kathy's not going to want to sleep in the snake room. <laughs> you sleep in there, you got a little blow-up bed, you know, there in the snake room, and there's a, right here by your head is glass aquarium, huge glass aquarium with a snake and his tongue going... Yeah, I don't want to sleep there. <laughs> snakes are good at sneaking out of places and stuff, right? Well, these snakes went through to the children of Israel and bit them. And they're dying. So Moses goes, God, we've got to do something. Lord, you've got to help the people. So that's what he said. Take a bronze serpent and put it on a pole. Stick it in the middle of the camp. Tell everybody who looks at it, they'll be saved. That's kind of ordinary. I can look at any. What, why is that, what makes that pole so good to look at? Well, I'll tell you. That's the pole God wanted there. Becomes a symbol later on. Jesus says, in the same way that Moses lifted up the bronze serpent, a picture of the curse, in the same way that Moses lifted up the bronze serpent and brought healing, the Son of Man is also going to be lifted up and become a curse for us. So that all who will look upon him can be saved. Same way. Ordinary. The ordinary part. I want to do more. I mean, just think of why is Naaman so upset? I bet if Elisha had said to him, okay, Naaman, here's what we're going to do. There's a dragon over there. And he's, and he's, and he's got this tower behind him. And in the top of the tower is this, is this damsel in distress. She's up in the top of the tower. And if you want to be cured of leprosy, you got to go through, fight the dragon, get past him, get up the tower, the top of the tower, get the girl and get her back here. And if you do that, you'll be cured. I bet Naaman would have been right on. I'm going. Why would he be so excited about that? Because his salvation now becomes his own effort. It's my own effort. If I can do it, then it belongs to me. God owes me. I mean, if i got to do something to earn it, God owes me. And that changes the way things will happen in my life and how God will treat me. And so, he's mad. And he rages and he walks away. But listen, he's got some servants. All throughout the Bible, when you talk about servants, I won't say every time, but often they become a picture of the Holy Spirit. He's leaving. He's ticked off. He don't want to hear the message. I can be healed. I can be whole. I can be clean. All I got to do is, is take a bath seven times in the Jordan. Have you ever seen the Jordan River? The Jordan River looks like mud. It ain't clean. You don't go look at it and go, oh, it's so pretty crystal clear waters it looks like flowing dirt you're you're thinking i don't even want to take a bath in that i'll be dirtier when i get out but nonetheless that's the spot where he's called to go so the servants say to him they came near and they spoke to him and they said my father if the prophet had told you to do something great 
Remember the dragon and the damsel in distress? Would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you, just wash and be clean. Just wash and be clean. So he went down and dipped seven times in the Jordan. According to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like that of a little child. You know, I don't want you to miss this. God went beyond. He healed him of leprosy. But he also made his skin like it was when he was a baby. All the scars, war wounds, hurts, pains, all washed away. Just because Naaman was really willing to do it God's way. God, what do you want me to do? Jesus stood before all those people and he said, I'm the Messiah. I've come to heal your break, broken hearts. I've come to, to make it so you can see. I've come to t- take you, make you free from captivity so you're not stuck in your sin. So you're not bound up. I've come to do all that. And all they wanted to do was throw him off a cliff. Who is this guy? It can't be that simple. It can't be that simple. It's got to be harder. It's got to be more. But you see, Naaman learned the same thing. Naaman learned the same thing. And when we do it God's way, Jesus was asked, What must I do to do the works of God? We've got to ask that question often. Jesus said, Believe in the one who the Father sent. Or it can't be that simple. People pick a variety of different things to be offended at, offended about, about what Jesus says and what Jesus does. But let me tell you what this means. Let me tell you what it means if all you got to do is wash and be clean. It means the baddest general in the army of Syria can do it, or a prostitute can do it. Or a kid who never progresses beyond the age of five, even though he continues to grow. Or somebody in the poorest town, or somebody in the richest town. Or somebody who's super strong, or somebody who's super weak. It means everybody can do it, because everybody can just dip in the water of life and be born again. Everybody can believe. It doesn't require anything special from you or from me or from anyone else. But don't you see that's what they were offended about. Everybody's on the same level? What do you mean everybody's on the same level? Don't you know I'm the baddest general in Syria? What do you, don't you know I'm a Pharisee, man? I, I've memorized the whole Bible. I'm not the same level as all those other people. What do you mean? I'm a scribe. I spend all day, every day of my life writing the Word of God. What do, you, what do you mean I'm on the same level as everybody else? They were all offended. But Jesus said, He came to the world not to condemn the world, because the world's already condemned. See, the world's already guilty before God of offending Him. We all have leprosy. We all have it. 
whether we're like the general Naaman from Syria or somebody from a little town of 500 people. No matter where we find ourselves on the economic scale, we all have leprosy and the word is the same to us all. Jesus said, if any of you, any of you, needs to be set free, all you have to do is come to me. And I'll set you free. All you have to do is believe. And he will do abundantly above and beyond all we can ask or imagine. Everybody can be saved by grace through faith. Because it's a gift of God. Not works. Lest anyone would boast. Everybody could be saved that way. That's why the people were offended. They're offended at who God is. And they're offended at the fact that they didn't need to do anything to earn it. All they have to do is receive it. Today, you're in one of those camps. You're offended at God. Or you're one of those who is trusting God. Who has already dipped seven times. Or somebody who needs to dip. Somebody who needs to put their trust in Him. Or someone who has put their trust in Him. But no matter where you are or what you've done, the price is already paid. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray.